0: The only daily Premier League podcast. This
1: is Football Social Daily. Man City are motoring in the Premier League title race. Chelsea are chuntering. City speeding ahead and are now eight points clear at the top, whilst the Blues are feeling blue, having once again given up precious ground. It was that guy Welbs that did the damage. Danny Welbeck with a last gasp header to snatch a point at Stamford Bridge as the Seagulls walked away with even spoils from Chelsea last night. No such trouble for Manchester City, who saw off Brentford on the road to extend their advantage at the summit thanks to Phil Foden's goal, We'll reflect on those encounters as well as looking ahead to tonight's occasion at Old Trafford, where Burnley visit Manchester United. We're in that weird void between Christmas and New Year when nobody really knows what on earth is going on. Thankfully, Football Social Daily is here to keep you up to speed. I'm Niall, welcome along to the podcast and joining me today, we've got Joel Tudor and Fergal Brennan. Morning to you, gents. Good morning, good to be here, especially on the back of Chelsea dropping points. Joel, you said yesterday that you love when Chelsea drop points, <laughs> so I imagine you're in a good mood this morning.
2: Yeah, it's, obviously it's not as good as when Liverpool drop points, which, oh they did as well, oh sorry, forgot that. <laughs>
1: well, we got to talk about your team, Manchester United, a little bit later on, so let's not stick the knife the Yeah, yeah
2: we'll move on from that. I'll, I'll be gone after that one, don't worry. <laughs> uh, Fergal
1: Brennan's also here. Fergal's an Arsenal fan and you're probably sitting quite smug at the moment as well, Fergal, because Joel's also stuck the boot into your boys, the Gunners, this season. And I think I'm right in saying that you sit above Man United in the table, is that right? Yeah, I'm sure Joel doesn't need me to remind him of that. BBC, Wikipedia,
0: Google search, however you want to do. Yes, as it stands, we are currently aboard, but... As a, as a grizzled Arsenal fan, I can tell you we're never more than a couple of defeats away from meltdown. So I'm, I'm pleased, uh, but I will be terrified of being smug because when
1: you get smug as an Arsenal fan, you tend to get slapped. It's like Homer Simpson when he's uh, <laughs> fallen asleep at his desk in the power plant and he nearly leans on that button which just destroys the whole city. <laughs> that is uh, that's, that's Arsenal at the moment. That's a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get stuck straight into it then. Two Premier League games last night. Of course, a handful have been called off that were set to take place today, but to make it easier to follow, we'll only focus on the ones that were on or are set to play to take place tonight. So we've got Chelsea 1 Brighton 1, Brentford nil Manchester City 1 and at Old Trafford tonight is Manchester United versus Burnley so all of that is on our agenda and let's begin where the bulk of the drama was last night at the bridge where Chelsea were pegged back late on by a Brighton leveler through Danny Welbeck effectively it's more drop points for Chelsea there's no two ways about it Fergal They're losing ground in the title race. Thomas Tuchel was asked after the game if they're still in that title race and he said, I don't care. It's stupid to think that Chelsea can win the title. I thought they were really interesting comments from the Chelsea manager after the game. What did you make of them?
0: It comes within this wider range of argument that he's been having over the last week or two weeks with the Premier League about pushing for a circuit breaker, looking for more postponements due to a rise in in COVID-19 cases, not just within his own ranks, but right the way across the Premier League. I think that is what's feeding this irritation that he's having based on performances based on as you say drop points uh, last night against brighton and there have been a few results in the last couple of weeks that will have frustrated him they're not in a they're not in a bad run uh, because they haven't actually lost many games it's only west ham they've lost to in the last month but draw against Everton, draw against Wolves, and then obviously that, that late goal from, from Welbeck last night meant another two points just, just drifted away from them. And I've said it a couple of times on, on the Sunday show and on, on, other, on other podcasts that Manchester City won't hang around. They won't. Look at their run, look at how dominant they're being. I know we're going to touch on them in a second. And that is what is also probably in the back of Thomas Tuchel's mind. He knows that Chelsea are not performing badly. They're not really setting the world alight but Manchester City just won't hang around. If you're going to pick up a draw here and maybe drop a couple of points there, they'll just win, win, win. And then at the end of the day, they'll they'll just power on. I think it's eight points clear they are at the top of the table now. So Tugo's frustrated about a number of things. Um, This idea that they're not in the title race, I mean, they're obviously not completely out of it, but it is Man City's to throw away now. I know we're going to touch on Guardiola's own comments uh, a little bit later on, but Man City are setting the pace, they're setting the standard. Liverpool have dropped a few points in recent weeks as well. And when you look at the situation, you need consistency. Going into January, February, squeaky bum time as, as Sir Alex Ferguson used to call it. Manchester City have got the squeakiest bum as it as it stands and and Chelsea's bum is probably not squeaky enough right now.
1: I didn't think I'd be talking about squeaky backsides this early uh, on a December morning but I suppose it has just been Christmas so there's a few of those knocking around in more than footballing context Um, as for Brighton again they find a late goal to draw a game One apiece, Joel. It's happened a few times this season. I can think of at least four off the top of my head. It might well be more. Uh, But Danny Welbeck was the man who scored. A nice header into the corner, planted it beyond Mendy. If he could stay fit, where do you think Brighton would be this season? Is it fair to say they would have been better off? Because the last two seasons we've spoken about Graham Potter's team and about how they're actually attractive to watch and they're good between both boxes. They've tightened up at the back this season. Um, by all accounts and I suppose that's reflected in their league positioning but it's still going forward and finding the back of the net where they seem to struggle
2: yeah, it's always great seeing a fellow Mancunian do some damage against your rivals. But um yeah, I mean I, I don't think I don't think Wellbeck's like the Messiah who could save them. He's always come up with the, the big goals. I always remember him, you know, getting the equaliser at the burnabout back in twenty twelve and um he's got some he scored some goals against us for Arsenal. I don't really like to recollect that, but he's um yeah, I think with Brighton, I think the player that I've been most impressed with has been obviously, you know, you have the typical ones like Besuma who was amazing last night. Um but I really have been impressed with Neil Mope just because he, I don't know what it is. He just as soon as the 90 minute clock ticks he suddenly turns into a bit of an animal around the box and I think he's got about four goals when it's been past the ninety-minute mark, which is something quite crazy. But yeah, it's funny because you know we—I remember us talking about Brighton. He's like a—he's like a backwards Cinderella. Yeah, yeah just a time <laughs> switch back. It, um, but I remember us talking about Brighton at the start of the season when they were, I think, fourth in the league. They'd only lost once in I think ten games, and they were on a really good run. Then I think that Manchester City 5 niller the Amex really took the wind out of the sails a little bit and it's only just now where they're really starting to get a little bit of form again. Um, they've obviously won one, drawn one in the last two despite that uh, 1-0 home defeat against Wolves. But I think this Chelsea one was a big one um, because I think it does m- s- such wonders for the s- small, so-called smaller teams when they end up you know, getting... I know it's not a victory for them, but this will feel like a victory for them because Chelsea are no easy side. But yeah, if we, if we go to Chelsea, I mean they were as expansive as their song list last night. I mean, I I, I don't know how to explain it for them. And I I knew this was coming. I know everyone had them as the kind of title contenders, but the the, the signs were there especially after that Manchester United draw at home I wasn't overly impressed with them in comparison to their title rivals such as City who are looking very very dominant Um, but you know one Premier League win at home since October is alarming for Chelsea because at Stamford Bridge they're usually they usually have a fortress there, they're usually extremely hard to beat and they've dropped 11 points from leading positions which it kind of tells you everything you need to know. I don't know if it's a psychological problem or it's the fact that they're just struggling to score goals Um, because apart from Romelu Lukaku, I don't think I could name anyone in that squad who can actually contribute and actually give them a formidable title challenge. Because at the start of the season, it was Mason Mount who was scoring quite a lot of the goals. It was their wing backs who were scoring a lot of their goals. Now, it just seems as though there's not really a person who can lead the line as much as they were at the start and you know judging from last night Hudson-Odoi started and I've never ever been convinced with him I'm so surprised they never took that 40 million from Bayern because his decision making is poor I think we saw an instance last night where he was um, they were two on one I think Lukaku was running next to him and he just passed it straight to the defender of um, Brighton and that was the end of the attack and moments like this can either make or break your season and that was a big moment for Chelsea and it's, it, it, there's a number of factors going on there, but I know we'll probably go on to Tuchel's comments uh, a little later, but there's no excuses for the fact that they shouldn't be in this title race.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, because it's not often we get to pat ourselves on the back this po- on this podcast, despite the fact that we talk about football every single day of the season. But I think you did call at the start of the campaign, Joel, that you think that Chelsea were... The ones that were the weakest in the title race, aside from Manchester United, who fell behind a long time ago. But, I mean, Chelsea were the ones that you said that you don't think they're going to be able to keep up this run of winning 1-0 and 2-1. And you think that it might fall apart at some point. And you're absolutely spot on. But, you know, eight points is a big gap to make up, particularly with how strong Manchester City are. So I can put that one... Um, that prediction in the well-done category along with Fergal Brennan's prediction of Sheffield United <laughs> to finish in the top half a couple of seasons ago. That was a, a hell of a call. I'm uh, still, still dining out on that, one, over that one. It. We, we all laughed at Fergal at the time, but uh, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Um, Joel, you mentioned Thomas Tuchel's comments and I'll bring them up again, Fergal. I mean, I don't care when asked about the title race by one reporter and he said to another reporter, it's stupid to think that we can win the title. Um, That sounds like a man who's like you mentioned frustration earlier on in the show, Fergal, but that sounds like a man that's given up to me. Is that is that too harsh a comment to make? Do you think?
0: pretty close to the reality of the situation with him. I, I get his irritation, his frustration at the situation that they've had a problem with positive COVID-19 tests. They've had quite a few injuries. He's had to play players that he probably wouldn't have played based on the stage of their rehabilitation. We know there's been a few issues with, um, with N'Golo Kante and he's, he's massively important for Chelsea. He's had to play when maybe he should have rested and the same with one or two others. But... I think a big portion of this is a bit of a show in, in post-match interviews. He he knows that they're not completely, as I said before, out of the title race. He says it's stupid for us to be mentioned in the title race. He knows that that's the big headline that then flashes up this morning and people start to discuss Chelsea's performance and, and other bits and pieces. And it, it's also maybe a bit of a clever trick for me in terms of masking. And again, going back to, to Ferguson and how he used to operate, Protecting his players, I do think there's a slight element of that in this. If Tuchel takes the burden and takes it on the chin and makes the big statement that puts all the focus on him, it can mask the fact that this was a performance from his players where, as Joel mentioned, they missed some really important chances. And defensively, they've lost that that grit. I've said it quite a few times that Chelsea's strongest card is defensively. They can shut teams out. They can grind out wins. And particularly with Lukaku in the team, there's always a goal threat. If they lose that, they don't have the ability that Man City or Liverpool have got, for me, to just blow teams to bits. They've got really talented players and and a good system through the middle of the park. But they're not on that plane of just 5-6-0 that they can just batter someone. So I do think there's a portion of, of genuine frustration about the situation, his kind of beef with the Premier League. But I also think there's a little bit of... My players are not quite at it at the moment. I don't want the spotlight being put on them. I've got big shoulders. I can take this myself, and let's just move on to the next game.
1: Yeah, we mentioned that on Football Social Daily over this festive period as well that, you know, Chelsea are a side that apart from that 7-0 win over Norwich or was it even 8-0? I can't quite remember now. They've They've not really destroyed or dominated anyone to the extent that City and Liverpool have done by winning by multiple goals. That's not to suggest that they aren't a top quality outfit. Like, as you point out, Fergal, they absolutely are. But Thomas Tuchel as well lamented a refereeing decision last night, calling the lack of a penalty call a joke. And maybe I'm completely mistaken here but I can't remember from the post-match interviews I've seen from Thomas Tuchel him complaining too often about refereeing decisions so you know that someone's feeling the pressure when they start to point fingers at things like match officials although I did think in both games the Chelsea and Man City games last night there was a little bit Left to be desired by the referees, but that's beyond the point. That game at Stamford Bridge finished 1 1 last night in the Premier League. Chelsea pegged back in the title race, pegged back by Brighton. Later on, Danny Welbeck's goal, enough to secure a point for the Seagulls. No such troubles in their title challenge, in their title defence, in fact, for Manchester City, as they travelled to Brentford and won by a goal to nil. It was a well worked finish by phil foden after a lovely ball into the penalty area all he had to do was tap home from close range on the volley to open the scoring and that's how it stayed laporte did score late on but it was called off for offside because uh var intervened and saw that there was a millimeter or so of laporte's body offside and again i can't get my head around that but that's where we are man city won, brentford nil and city are now eight points clear in the title race joel Pep said after the game, I'm not going to believe any words you say when he was quizzed by reporters about the title race being effectively over, but surely he knows City is strong, strong favourites to win it. And it's almost a case of it will be embarrassing for them if they don't. And I want to quantify that statement a little bit because Chelsea and Liverpool are two very, very good sides. So to say that it's embarrassing to lose the title to them, I think is probably slightly unfair. But considering the gap is now eight points, and they've done plenty of the hard work over Christmas and they've established this gap it would be majorly disappointing if they don't go on to win the title
2: It's it's way too early to start calling the, the titles well and done, especially in December because we know from previous seasons that everything can be lost within the last two weeks of a season it just depends on who has the most consistency when it gets to that stage but you'd be wrong without saying as well that City's form is pretty formidable. Um, It's become the norm now for Guardiola's side to start stringing these 10 game undefeated winning streaks which happens every single season when you know prior to him actually coming to the Premier League it was a bit of a rarity. I don't and you can't really say that it's because oh the Premier League isn't as competitive anymore because to be fair every single team now has got Pretty strong sides. They can attract very good players from all over the world with the amount of money that every team has at the moment. And that top three are very, very good quality sides, especially Liverpool and um, Liverpool and Manchester City, who have both been in European finals in the last two three years. Liverpool have won the Champions League. Um, they're both two of the best sides in Europe, undoubtedly. So, you know, this this city team is something pretty special um, and it, they look like they're going at the league at a, count, at a canter but what I would probably point out is it's not just their attack that's been pretty formidable it's been the defence um, they've conceded only six goals in the last ten and that includes their freak 3-0 kind of kind of Ponzi <laughs> comeback from Leicester uh, but in that time they scored 31 goals which is you know th- that's what some teams score in half a season and it's, it's pretty formidable that they're able to put together such strong defences. But, you know, the thing with City is that they're, they're so strong in possession and they're so good in attack that they never, ever leave the defence exposed once in a game. I think it's only when they come come up against, for example, Liverpool who can actually have the quality to test that defence and have the players who can press and cause them problems. That's the only fixture you look at and think that City team's going to get exposed. Every other every other game they're so strong on the ball. <laughs> Apart from this game to be fair where Brentford limited them to uh, three shots on target which is pretty unheard of considering how uh, clinical they've been in the last few in the last 10 games. Uh, but yeah, for me I'd be very, very, very surprised if City end up losing this title because they're the team and who who I've said for a while who whoever can put the consistency consistency together are the ones that are going to win it. And City have done ten games winning on the bounce, and none of their competitors at the moment can match that. So potentially they can make a gap which is insurmountable and no one can reach it, but it is way too early to call that because you know City have still got to play Chelsea, they've still got to play Liverpool. There's a long way to go and I'm sure there'll be lots of twists and turns, but
1: f- right now it's looking like it's going one way. Well certainly that late Danny Welbeck goal would have made a big difference to Chelsea in terms of points particularly when you look at the fixtures that are coming up uh, including over the weekend ahead the 2nd of January which is on Sunday Chelsea host Liverpool at Stamford Bridge that's looking really tasty and then in a couple of weeks time on the 15th of January City host Chelsea as well so it's looking like those two games in uh, early to mid January could be absolutely massive for the context of the title race. Are you in a similar position to Joel Fergal do you think that you know manchester city are strong favourites but it's far too early to suggest that they're going to go on and win it convincingly
0: Tuchel in Guardiola's comments of deflecting the attention away again from his players and onto him by making a big, bold statement in, in his post-match interview. Um, I would agree with the majority of both of, uh, of both of you that Man City in the position that they're in now are massively strong favourites to go on and defend their title. For me, it is Liverpool. I would agree with Joel on this, that Chelsea are a very good team, but we've seen that if one or two things don't work, then they do they do tend to come up a little bit short. And When you look at the games that are still to come, Liverpool do have a game in hand if they win that they can then tighten that um, gap at the top to six points they still have to play City I know it's at the Etihad and they don't have a great Premier League record at the Etihad under Klopp but Liverpool can go and beat anyone in in Europe on their day and if they go into that game full of confidence they could beat City at the Etihad and then you're just looking at cities have one wobble really between now and the end of the season And, and they are capable of that we go back to the Crystal Palace game earlier this season every now and again the Pep master plan doesn't work for, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, the classic overthink or you, maybe there's an injury or the, a team just shuts them out of a game and, and sticks 10 men behind the ball. That can happen and there's still huge amount of football to be played. So I understand his position of just saying, look, there's way too much road still to run to be talking about it. But in the position they're in now, The onus is on them to hold on. The onus is actually on Liverpool now to rouse themselves. Klopp has got to react to to that defeat to Leicester a couple of days ago and say to his players, there's no room for error between now and the end of the season, because there isn't. I mentioned there, if City have a little wobble, there's not really any scope for Liverpool to have any sort of a wobble between now and May. And, and that's, that's going to be the interesting dynamic on it. Will Liverpool rise to the challenge that Klopp is going to throw down to them? And will City, as defending champions, just hold their nerve and stay steady? It's going to be fascinating to watch.
1: Absolutely agree with you. It is so tight and relentless in the Premier League these days. You can't lose more than a handful of games and expect to be victorious when it comes to winning the Premier League. So I'm totally with you, Fergal. Let's talk about Brentford now that we've uh, boxed off Manchester City. They're very rarely blown away, even by the best teams. And when I say blown away, I mean, they might be on the end of a 3-0 every now and again, but they they rarely get dispatched for 4, 5, 6, like we've seen some other teams in the Premier League. Um, suffer in recent years especially ones that have just come up from the championship it was another decent ish defensive showing against the side who had scored 17 in their previous three games Fergal so what have you made of Brentford particularly over this Christmas period when Thomas Frank's been vocal about those Covid cases and their injuries and their struggles when it comes to fitness what do you make of them and what do you think the future holds for them do you think they'll be okay in the Premier League this season
0: I think they'll be okay based on the start that they've made. They have had a little bit of a uh, difficult period over Christmas. As you mentioned, Frank has with COVID cases within his squad and there's a few injuries to, to some important players thrown into the mix. But I like them. I think the way that he has has them set up, the way that he has them drilled, they're organised without being dull. They do have a bit of an edge to them. They can mix it up. They, they gave City a lot of problems in the first 15, 20 minutes. Ruben Diaz nearly got a, an own goal. Cancelo had to get back and get one off the line. And they present a... A very unorthodox challenge because all of their attacking players present a different threat and you look at a back line like City they're used to dominating they're used to playing really high progressing with the ball looking to build into midfield and every one of the Brentford attackers posed a different problem whether it was Tony whether it was Visser, Seki Kianos came off the bench and he's a player that I've, been, that I've been quite impressed with he's nippy in between the lines he can create he can score goals and I do think that even if even if Brentford fans won't thank me for saying this, even if it does taper off in the second half of the season, they've had such a strong start within the context of a brand new Premier League team. And I don't mean that as a as a pat on the head. I just mean it as the reality of the Premier League. 18 games in, 20 points on the board. For a team that's never played in the Premier League before, that is fantastic. It, it genuinely is. And I think the whole 40-point magic mark has probably been lowered a little bit in the last few seasons, probably in and around 37, 38 is now enough to guarantee you survival. I don't see them crashing and burning in 2022. Um, I think they'll be okay in terms of survival. I do think they'll maybe struggle to mirror their early season form in the back end of the campaign. And I think they'll, they'll stay up. I think the concerns for them now are their squad. They do have quite a thin squad. We've seen this with the issues they've had over Christmas. Um, the likes of Tony is massively important to them. Shandon Baptiste in midfield. Ethan Pinnock at the back. David Rack I know has been injured he's a bit of a miss because uh, Fernandez, who's come in for him, is is not quite as secure uh, in between the sticks. So there are going to be questions for Frank in the January transfer window. He's probably going to bring in maybe one or two names to just bolster and boost certain positions within his squad. But I do think they'll be absolutely fine. But I think that's more based on the start they've made. I don't see that being replicated in 2022. I think they'll get maybe three, four wins um, that will be important, probably at home, beat a couple of teams in and around them. They might even be the, the nail in the coffin of some other teams in terms of their relegation to, to the championship. But I think they'll be absolutely OK. Thomas Frank's quite a nice guy. He's an engaging manager. The way that he speaks about football, you you want him to do well when you hear him speak. He's, he's very positive. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be absolutely fine. But, A 2021 performance in 2022 is probably a bit of a stretch, um, but I think they'll be absolutely okay. I think they'll be playing Premier
1: League football next season. Brentford made a good start to the season, as Fergal says, although they couldn't get the job done. They lost to the defending champions, Man City, 1-0 last night. Burnley, however, are in the bottom three and they didn't make a great start to the season. I think it took them up to 10 games to win their first fixture of the season. Manchester United did make a good start, but they've since dropped off. These two sides meet 8.15pm at Old Trafford tonight. United against Burnley and Manchester United need to play a real side downside better than they did against Newcastle United Joel lots of frustration after that Newcastle game do you think people are expecting too much too soon from the new interim manager Ralph Rangnick or was it too poor a performance against Newcastle to even afford him that sort of leeway
2: yeah I think that's generous for that performance it was one of the worst performances I've seen for a long time and to be fair the bar is very very low so you can't really get below that but Honestly, that, even Randnick said it himself and you could see how kind of baffled he was after the game when he said, I, like, we trained really well, like, I saw really good signs from the players and it's a surprising performance because there was no intensity, no aggression. The body language was absolutely off, in my opinion. Um, it, it, see, I think right now we're seeing that the mask and the veil that was over them when Solskjaer was there is really starting to come off now where you can't blame the manager for this he's he's probably had about five full training sessions with them with regards to Covid messing up the whole schedule now we're, tr- we're actually seeing the players for what they are and honestly I think in a long time this is probably the most dislikable group of United players I've seen in quite a long time because regardless of if you win or you lose if especially in England, if you, see, if, if you see a team that are fighting for the club on the pitch, they show the attitude that they actually look like they want to be on the pitch and it doesn't look like a chore, then the fans will buy into that and it creates a bit of an ethos at the club. I think right now, there's just so much scapegoating going on where people are desperately trying to think, oh, Ronaldo's the problem. Uh, Ranić doesn't um, know how to set up the side. Um, Rashford, he's the problem. Honestly, the problem is the the club is in an identity crisis and it has been for quite a long time now. I mean, the glue of Alex Ferguson is well and truly gone and it's been completely lost. And I think it just needs a whole new DNA. You know, we all talk about, oh, the club needs attacking football, it needs flying wingers. That, that ethos and that culture was
1: specific to Alex Ferguson, and it's gone. It's, you can't replicate it. I agree with you, Joel, and it's more the ethos and the DNA of Manchester United is to win. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, but it's about winning in a certain way well you can't pick and choose how you win you just have to win and with the ruthlessness of Man City and Liverpool that we've spoken about and now Chelsea becoming a force again a bit like they were five or six years ago it feels like Manchester United they just have to win that's the DNA of that club is winning and being successful and it doesn't really matter how it comes as long as United are successful and at the moment they're not so I guess that's a part of where the frustration comes from and people are looking for answers and like you say, scapegoating people is the word that you use, but you know, there's fingers that have been pointed at the manager, at the board, at Ronaldo, when actually you're you're quite right, it seems like um the club's been allowed to drift really, which is a shame.
2: Yeah, is the, the is the club's been mismanaged completely and you're seeing that with the way the departures are going, Ed Woodward's going to be leaving in a few months. You've had another five managers in the time since Alex Ferguson retired. And for me, I think that the new manager, whenever he comes in, he needs to have the space and the ruthlessness to do whatever he wants with the team. And you know, right now, a month ago or two months ago, when Antonio Conte was available, I was so against it. Looking back, I think he was what was needed because... I think this team need a manager who does not let them have the foot off the gas once as in he demands everything from them and if he doesn't if if you don't get 100% you're out the door and for me you know when you see all these leaks of how the, the players are not happy to be doing training at 5pm I don't know how true it is and you know you can take it with a pinch of salt but There's a lot, just the fact that these reports are coming out tells you that there's a cultural problem in the club. There was reports of cliques in the club. There's reports of, you know, a very big separation and that's not good. And I remember there was a time when I read a report in 2004 where Roy Keane stepped in while he was captain to end a clique involving a lot of the South American players. And I do not see Harry Maguire doing that as captain. And I think it's just a, it's a very, very big problem. And I think the worst thing for me is the fact that we're 22 points behind City. At the start of the season, I would have laughed at that because we absolutely have the team that should have been there or thereabouts. And for me, it's a case of just the, the club it, the club is in need of a facelift. If they have a new manager, they, do, they can't start implementing and dictating how he should be playing. Like you said, United need to be a machine. We need to be winning games like robots. And I'm not saying boring football, but I mean, we need to win. That's what the club's been built on for the last 30, 40 years. You can play a beautiful football all you want, but if you're finishing fourth every season, it's not good enough and the manager will never, ever survive. So, you
1: know... And also the standard of the Premier League is so much better than it was ten five years ago even it's it's you know we've spoken about Liverpool Manchester City these are just ruthless teams with world-class managers that won't give you an inch to breathe they will suffocate you until the final game to try and keep their foot on your back and keep you down and and that's that's what they will want. That you know, the, the weaker Manchester United are, the, the easier life is for them.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like, like I mentioned before, that era of Sir Alex Ferguson is well and truly buried. It's it's a beautiful part of history, but you need to move on. And for me, I, in retrospect, I think Antonio Conte would have got way more out of this side when you look back in history you know there was times when for example Jose Mourinho wanted Jerome Boateng he wanted to sell Anthony Martial and apparently those above him wanted to stop all that because they don't want him playing a certain way I mean you're paying a guy 15 million a season and you are not and you're restricting him because you have such a strong ethos and such a strong philosophy of how the side should play well don't pay these guys 15-20 million a season if you're not going to allow them to do their thing it makes zero sense to me no other club does that all it is and like you said and i totally agree with it is football at the end of the day is about winning and if you're gonna put philosophy over winning well then we're not the club we used to be anymore
1: yeah i always say this um a couple of times a season and it, people take it the wrong way but the game is about glory Yeah, you know, my team Portsmouth I always use them as an example because obviously it, it means the most to me and it's the easiest thing for me to relate to but people always ask me if we would trade winning the FA Cup in 2008 to be back in the Premier League absolutely not that was one of the best days of my life not just watching football but I'm rightly so yeah, I'm rightly so rightly so when you look in history books you're going to see that FA Cup in 2008 forever Precisely. And I was there with my dad and I watched Sol Campbell walk up Wembley steps and lift the FA Cup. And that's something I don't think I'll ever see again in my lifetime supporting Portsmouth. But I'll cherish that memory when I was in my teenage years of watching Portsmouth win the FA Cup and play AC Milan in European football. I mean, we're a a club from the South Coast who weren't supposed to play in Europe. We weren't supposed to win the FA Cup and we did. And although we financially crashed after that, we can now turn to Tottenham fans and say, how's winning a trophy going? Because little old league one Portsmouth have won a trophy more recently than Tottenham Hotspur and it's the games about glory Um, you know so people that say oh we're in the Premier League and you know why would you not want to be in the Premier League uh, it's it's about winning stuff. It's about trophies. That's all fans want. They want those days out at Wembley. They want those special moments. They want want to win games. I mean, that's what it's all about. So, so that's that's my take on it. And talking of winning games, Burnley will need to win a few more games, and they'll be ironing up this game against Manchester United tonight. Virgil Sean Dyche is not someone who uh, who beats around the bush with what he says and what he does. They've got several games in hand over the rest of the bottom sides, Burnley, but a win over Manchester United will take them out of the relegation zone and pile the pressure on Watford. And someone as experienced as Deitch will know that doing that will go a long way to boosting the confidence and keeping them up.
0: Indeed, and I think the situation with Burnley, you could almost Copy and paste conversations, podcasts, news reports, anything, because we find ourselves Groundhog Day with them at this point every season. (laughs) We do, we do, we do. They have a fairly uninspiring start. This season's been particularly poor. They've only won one in the Premier League so far this season. But we say it every single year: as long as they've got Sean Dyche, they're okay. As long as they've got that experienced squad, they're okay. There's always three worst teams, and I still think that is the case. I do think that. The, the kind of situation has changed a little bit this season but those core basics they might be the most thrilling or the most exciting they do still exist the the premier league in in this area of the table in the mid table and heading towards the relegation zone is a very straightforward business you need a manager that knows exactly what they're doing you need experienced players that can just copy and paste rinse and repeat in terms of performances and you need someone that can get your goals And Burnley, those three big boxes, they've ticked them over the last few years. I do think they have declined Mm. a little bit in the last 12 months or so, but they do still have those core ingredients that other teams around them don't have. My only concern with them is this idea that all they have to do is just keep doing what they've been doing year on year, is that all of those players are 12 months older, 18 months older we're on the back of COVID, we're on the back of dealing with a very strange situation within Premier League football. These things do tend to rack up. They don't go on forever. And Burnley and Sean Dyche don't make wholesale changes in the transfer market and bring in 50, 60 million pound players to to look to jazz things up. He relies on the players that he knows, but these things don't last forever. Defenders get a little bit slower. Strikers might drop two or three goals per season. So that all needs to be taken into account. But then on the flip side of that, they've got Maxwell Corney who is the least burnley burnley player i've ever seen I, i'm i'm the first one to hold my hands up how
1: did they convince him I, to join Burnley? exactly
0: i don't know whether it was a, a blindfold getting off the train i don't know how they managed it uh, the big big tesco by uh, by manchester road station that's quite impressive but other than that they must have blindfolded him he is someone that has come in and he's hit the ground running for them he's scored goals and he's he's raised the the standard of what should be expected other than the kind of meat and spuds grunt and grind Burnley way of doing things because other than Dwight McNeil they don't really have much of a spark in terms of creativity and keeping hold of the ball and creating chances he I think he will probably fill in the gap if Chris Wood drops from 12 or 13 a season to maybe 9 or 10 Corne will fill in that gap and Deich knows these things are down to really, really thin lines. He doesn't need someone to score 20, 25 goals a season. He needs maybe two players to score in and around 10, make sure they beat the teams that they should be beating, and that's enough. Box ticked. And, and as you said before, Niall, he makes he makes no bones about this because he's been here. He, he's not interested in the wider narrative. He knows almost down to a, a pinpoint accuracy what he needs to do to keep Burnley in the Premier League. And, and I think he'll do it again. I do think they have slipped off a bit in terms of the reliability of certain key players but with corne coming in that has freshened up at an important time when they needed it and i think they'll be absolutely fine they could well get a result tonight i think if they get in front tonight they'll just bed in and united as as joel said if they're moaning it'll be dark tonight we know they don't like being out after dark at the moment (laughs) i think burnley could just bed in and maybe nick something um but we just have to see how it goes
1: Well, they've got a decent recent record at Old Trafford as well, Burnley. I remember them winning at Old Trafford in an evening game uh, a couple of seasons ago. And I think three seasons ago, Paul Pogba had to score twice and United had to come from behind. Uh, They were 2-0 down and they ended up getting a draw. So Burnley quite enjoy playing at Old Trafford, particularly under the lights, as Fergal says. That's the game on offer tonight in the Premier League. Manchester United against Burnley. And that's it for today's football social daily don't forget we will be back tomorrow we are the only daily premier league podcast you can find it is new year's eve tomorrow but the three of us will be back looking ahead to the games taking place on new year's day for you so make sure you hit subscribe that way you won't miss it thanks to joel thanks to fergal my name's niall we'll catch you next time on football social daily
2: football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode